there is no substitute for the preaching and teaching of God's Word. Each weekday on Enjoying the Journey, Scott Pauley leads us in a brief study of Scripture. Today, on the Weekend Pulpit, we are happy to share a full-length Bible message given through Scott's pulpit ministry. These messages were recorded live in a local church or gospel event in recent days. It is our prayer that the message will be a help to you today. Very good. Let's go to the book of Ephesians together. If you're just joining us tonight, we're studying not all of Ephesians. My soul, we'd have to have a campaign for several weeks to even go through this book of the Bible. But we're concentrating on a truth that's found repeatedly in the book of Ephesians, and that is the truth of our Lord's fullness. We live in an empty world, but we serve a God who is always full. And not only is he full, the great truth is that he wants to fill us. We begin on the Lord's Day morning looking in chapter 1 at the fullness of Christ. Then last evening we came to the fullness of God, Paul's prayer for this Ephesian church that they would be filled with all the fullness of God. So we come from the fullness of the Son, then into the fullness of the Father. Would you like to just guess where we're going tonight? Right, we're going to the fullness of the Spirit. So look with me, please, at Ephesians chapter 5, arguably one of the most famous and familiar verses in all of Scripture. And yet, I think so often we miss what the Lord has for us. It's one of those verses it's easy to quote and hard to live. How many of you are with me on that? Look at Ephesians 5 and verse 18. I hope the first part of this verse is easy for you to live. And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess. Time out, stop, lift your head, look at me just a minute. I'm not preaching on on liquor tonight, not preaching on wine, fermented beverage, but I want to say for the record that I'm against it. I still believe wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. And all all this crowd today that wants to argue for why they think in our Christian liberty we ought to have the ability to have that, May I just say to you, if you'll bring me a list of ten good things liquor ever did in any family or any community, I'll talk to you about it. Just ten things. That's all all I want you to bring me, just ten things. And I want you to know that for everything you can bring me that you might think is some positive, I can show you a hundred things it has destroyed in our world. And so I believe this with all my heart. I believe that Though there is in Scripture the fruit of the vine, that's obvious, and our Lord turned water into that wine. I believe that unfermented fruit of the vine. I believe that Scripture is consistent and clear that the Lord's children ought not be brought under the power of anything but Jesus. And that includes wine. Now let's pick up our verse again. That's the first sermon. How many of you are glad we got that one out of the way? Yes. Verse 18, and be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but, read it with me, church, be filled with the Spirit. Take your pen and mark that, please. It's a command. If it's a command, it means it must be obeyed. It must mean there's a choice in this. You can be filled or you may be a Christian that is not filled. 
It's not an automatic thing. In fact, it's a continual thing. We, we must be filled all the time. The, the verb that is used here literally means to be being filled. In fact, Sunday morning I spoke to you on the fullness of Christ and last night on the fullness of God. And you might think tonight the title is the fullness of the Spirit, but it's not. I want to take the word right out of Scripture. Not the fullness of the Spirit, but the filling of the Spirit. And why am I using that word? Because that's the word the Holy Spirit used. And I think He chose it very carefully and uniquely because fullness implies the completion or wholeness of a thing. Filling implies that it must go on and on and on and on and on. I believe on the day of my salvation that I came in to the fullness of Christ. That doesn't mean I understood everything about the Lord. I'm still discovering new things about the Lord Jesus every day. But I want you to know I got all of Jesus I'm ever going to get on the day of my salvation. I have entered into the fullness of His work for me. How many of you are with me on that? Yes? And then our Lord has brought us in to the fullness of God, which means we have all things that pertain to life and godliness. You might not be living it, and you might not be accessing it. You might not believe it, and you might not enjoy it, but you have access to all the fullness of our great God. But when you come to the work of the Holy Spirit, I want to say to you that the emphasis here is not on we've arrived, we have it. The emphasis here is rather on this, we must be constantly dependent on His work in our life. Might I say it this way? We're all still a work in progress. Maybe you're not, but I am. We're leaky vessels, aren't we? And that is why again and again and again we must, read it with me, church, be filled with the Spirit. I've been pondering on this a little bit this week before I walk through this passage. Why this order? In Ephesians, why this order? If I said to you tonight, do, do we believe in, in the thrice holy God? What is commonly referred to as the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We believe that, yes? Not three gods, one God expressed in three persons, co-equal, co-existent, co-eternal. In, in all perfection, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, to use the word of the Apostle Paul. Somebody said, I don't like the word Trinity. Then don't use the word Trinity. Use the Bible word. The Bible word is the Godhead. And the Godhead is made up of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And we almost always talk about our triune God in that order, right? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But when you come to the book of Ephesians, this book of fullness, he begins with Jesus. He doesn't begin with the Father. He doesn't begin with the Spirit. He begins with the Son. He begins with the Lord Jesus Christ. And from the Son, He leads us then to the resources of the Heavenly Father. And then only after coming to know the Son and entering into what we have through the Father does He begin talking about the work of the Holy Spirit of God in our life. Why this very special order? May I answer it from Scripture? Hold your place here just a minute. We're coming right back to Ephesians 5. And go back with me to the last verse of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse number 14 has been referred to as the apostolic benediction. That's just a big word for the apostles' prayer. And really, it's not the apostles' blessing. It is our God's blessing, but it is the closing prayer that Paul penned under inspiration of the Holy Spirit to the church at Corinth. Look at 2 Corinthians 13 and verse 14 and see if you see a divine parallel here in the progression of truth. 2 Corinthians 13, 14 says, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and 
the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. And all God's people said, Amen. That's a good prayer right there. Let me just tell you, that's a good prayer. Matter of fact, we could spend all night just, just dissecting this prayer. It's a good prayer. Look at that prayer. What's he start with in verse 14? What's the first prayer he prays for them? I love this. What's the first prayer, church? It's grace. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Ephesians chapter 1, every good thing starts with the grace of God. Look, you don't get to understand or enjoy the rest of it until you come into your own experience of the grace of God. And how do you know the grace of God? The only way sinners like us could ever know the grace of our great God is through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we begin with the Son. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. See, there's a whole lot of people in this world who want to call God their Father and claim that they're a child of God. But I want to tell you, you don't have God as your Father if you don't have the Son as your Savior. So you don't begin with the Father. You begin with the Son. The Son is the one that takes you by the hand with a nail-pierced hand and leads you into the family room of heaven, brings you into the presence of His Holy Father. So we begin with the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then, once we know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we know, secondly, what? The love of God. And it's a reverence here, of course, to fatherly love. It's a reverence to our Heavenly Father. Look at the parallel to Ephesians. Everybody remember what we just studied about the breadth and length and depth and height? Know the love of God that passeth understanding? What is this? We're going deeper and deeper into the love of God. One of the marks, historically, of real revival. You study revival. Somebody just gave me several books recently on the Welsh revival, which I have enjoyed reading about and studying for years, but several volumes that I'd never received before. And I'm, I'm just starting to dig into them. But if you study great revivals in history, you're going to discover that one of the distinguishing marks of every one of them, when true spiritual awakening comes, people get awakened to how much God loves sinners like them. Now, every revival is different. Some are marked by great singing and some are marked by all-night prayer meetings and some are marked by God-anointed preaching and some are marked by the outflow of what happens in the community. But all of them are marked by this. When the God of love shows up, you get impressed with the love of God. So you begin with the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. You enter into the love of God. And I would argue that's not just something you ever graduate from. You, you spend the rest of your life just wading deeper into those waters until, like the old prophet, you say it's to the ankles and it's to the knees and it's to the waist and it's waters to swim in. Let me give you a good word. We're going to swim in the deep end of the pool for the rest of eternity. In fact, it's not going to be a pool. Actually, it's going to be an ocean of the love of God. That's what we're going to enter into. So from grace to love, from the Son to the Father, but please don't miss the third. And, mark it please, the communion of the Holy Ghost. It's the final thing, not because it's least, but I would argue because it is the deepest. In fact, did you know that the only time the word communion is used in our New Testament, it's found in Paul's writings to the church at Corinth? Sometimes we talk about uh, coming to the Lord's table and people refer to it as communion. But in fact, communion is broader than just coming to the Lord's table. But communion is always connected to the work of the Holy Spirit. Do you know what communion is? Communion is the deepest kind of fellowship. When I commune with someone, that is, that is deeper than communication. 
How many of you know you can communicate with somebody and it's all head-to-head? In other words, it's facts, it's data, it's information. We, we did a lot of that today with people, right? But to commune with someone. Now, that's heart-level fellowship. Oh, this is precious to me. When I came to know God, my first introduction to God was the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus showed me the grace of God and I am forever grateful. And now, through all these years, I've been coming to understand more and more about how much God loves an old, hell-deserving sinner like me. And i got to tell you, the longer I live, the more in awe I am at the love of God. It's, it's like, it's amazing to me that God would love somebody like me. And I want to tell you, the, the deepest fellowship that we have with God is when we enter into what the Apostle calls here the communion of the Holy Ghost. I wonder tonight, are, are you in communion? At this moment, are you in step with the Holy Spirit of God? Do, do you have heaven's harmony in your soul? We're going to take a test tonight. I don't normally like tests, but we're going to take a test tonight. And I'm not going to grade the test. Anybody glad I'm not grading the test? Now, you'll have to grade the test yourself, and really the Lord's the ultimate judge of the whole thing. But tonight, I want to go back to Ephesians 5, and I want to walk you not through the verse, but through the verses that surround it. You see, every verse in Scripture is connected to every other verse in Scripture, and sometimes we concentrate so much on verse number 18, we miss the context of the text. Now, no, granted, there's a lot of truth packed in to verse number 18. There's, there's the principle of contrast. He's contrasting the fullness of the Spirit with the life of the flesh. I think Ephesians 5.18 is Galatians 5.16 in reverse. You know what Galatians 5.16 says? Walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Look at Ephesians 5.18. It's the, it's the flip, but it's the same principle. You're either walking in the Spirit or you're walking in the flesh. You're either controlled by the things of this world or you're controlled by a power much greater than your own. And you've got to pick one because you can't live both ways at the same time. So there's a great contrast here. Then there's the principle of control here. As surely as a man is brought under the power of intoxicating beverage and becomes a different man and totally changes his character, I want you to know that when you come under the control, the dominating power of the Holy Spirit of God, when you are literally living in communion with the Holy Ghost, it will not be you responding, it will be the Holy Spirit of God responding through you. It will not be you making it happen, it will be the power of the Holy Spirit working through your life. So you got the principle of contrast and the principle of control, and you got the principle of condition because you can only fill someone who's open. And the idea here of obedience to God, oh, Lord, fill me with the Holy Spirit. But that's not what I want to emphasize tonight. Tonight what I want to emphasize to you is what the Holy Spirit has been working over in my own soul the last few days. And it is, if I may say it this way, the confirmations that we are filled with the Holy Spirit. How do you know? How can you tell? How can others tell if you are truly filled with the Holy Spirit? There's lots of nonsense in this world today. People have the idea if you, if you can do certain things or speak certain languages or whatever, that's the evidence of the fullness of the Holy Spirit. I believe in the New Testament signed gifts that were given in the book of Acts and they were given at that period to confirm the message to the nation of Israel. I believe in their temporary nature. But I want you to know there's a whole group of people in the world today who are teaching that that's the evidence. And if you want the confirmation of the Holy Spirit, then you've got to fall out on the floor and, and all kinds of crazy things going on. I want you to know that if you come under the control of the Holy Spirit of God, it's going to make you more like Jesus. That's what it's going to do. And here's the amazing thing. When you look at Ephesians 5, 18, it is in the wider context in this chapter of the Lord saying, here's what life in the Spirit actually looks like. 
And before I show you, just hold on to your seat for a minute. I want you to know that just because we clean up for church and carry a Bible and sing the right kind of songs about Jesus and even use our religious cliches and say our God bless you's and say our prayers does not mean that we are truly filled with the Holy Spirit of God. In fact, I'm convinced that in lots of religious environments like this, many times preacher and people are not truly filled with the Holy Spirit. How many of you think your pastor ought to be a Spirit-filled man? Let's take a church vote. Would you raise your hand? Sure, I wouldn't want to be a member of a church that didn't have a Spirit-filled pastor. And I want to tell you tonight, you ought to thank God. All these years the Lord's given you a pastor, I truly believe this, who walks with God and is filled with the Holy Spirit. And I see evidences of that in his life. I said to my wife uh, yesterday, I said, I, I enjoy watching uh, Preacher Cook in the middle of the church service. And frankly, I don't enjoy watching all preachers in the middle of a church service. But I enjoy watching him. You know why I enjoy watching him? Because he's just enjoying the Lord. I love that. I've always loved that. He's worshiping God and the joy of the Lord is on him. And I think that's evidence of the work of the Holy Spirit of God in a man's heart. But I want you to know tonight, God didn't create the fullness of the Holy Spirit to be for the preacher. God said the filling of the Holy Spirit is to be for all the people. This is not just for the Apostle Paul. This is for every one of God's saints in the local New Testament church. Are you a Spirit-filled man? Are you a Spirit-filled woman? I mean, let me just really get personal with you for a moment and, and just say a word of testimony. I've been convicted about this recently. Did you know that you can preach a sermon and the Holy Spirit of God can touch the sermon and touch the hearts of people, but that does not necessarily mean that the preacher is himself filled with the Holy Spirit of God like he ought to be. Now let that sink in just a moment. You know one of the dangers in preaching and in ministry is you can preach a sermon and somebody thinks it was a good message and a lot of people respond and somebody makes a decision and you say, well, I must be a spiritual person. You may be operating in a spiritual gift, but that doesn't necessarily mean you are at that moment filled with the Holy Spirit of God. God will bless His Word and God will do the work He intends to do in the hearts of people. But I'm, I'm testifying now right now. I'm not asking, is my sermon filled with the Holy Spirit of God tonight? I'm standing before you and before Holy God, and I'm saying, Lord, you search my heart. Is my heart filled with the Holy Spirit of God? You know where that's most evident? Not behind the pulpit. That's most evident in the privacy of my own home, in the secret place. Because not one of us is what we think we are, and not one of us is what others say we are. We are what God Himself knows us to be. And the filling of the Holy Spirit doesn't just work on Sunday. It works every day. And it doesn't just work in religious context. It works everywhere. You know why? Because the Holy Spirit of God is at work everywhere. So let's walk through the chapter and make the list. You got a pen? Let's mark them in our Bible. Let's start in verse number 1. He says, be. That's an interesting starting word, isn't it? We've created a whole lot of do. God's more concerned with what you are than what you do. If you'll be what you ought to be, you'll do what you ought to do. And sometimes in revival meetings, preachers like me have a tendency to give a list of everything everybody ought to do. I didn't come to tell you everything you ought to do. I'm not God. I, I can tell you what the Bible says you ought to do, but I'll tell you what we all ought to do tonight. We all ought to say, Lord, I want to be a true follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to be as right with you as I can be. And I know this, if I'll be what God saved me to be, I will do what God wants me to do. And so, be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. And walk in love 
As Christ also hath loved us and hath given us himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. Would you write this down, number one? The filling of the Holy Spirit, first of all, will fill you with the love of God. And we're back full circle to the fullness of God, aren't we? The breadth and length and depth and height. Jesus said, by this shall all men know you're my disciples when you have love one for another. I want you to know that when Christian people are hateful, it's not only just as bad as lost people being hateful, it's actually worse because it's the exact opposite of the character of Jesus Christ. When we're harsh and ugly and unkind, when we're caustic and critical, when we're cynical, when we speak in ways that tear people down instead of building people up, I want you to know at that moment we are very poor billboards for the love of a God who has perfect love. You let a man get filled with the Holy Spirit, I tell you on the authority of the Word of God, he won't get harder and harsher and more hateful. He will get filled with the love of Almighty God. In fact, I, let me just prove this to you. Now look across the page at verse number 9. It's in parenthesis. Aren't you glad even God's parenthesis is inspired? Look at verse 9. For the fruit of the Spirit, mark that in your Bible, the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. I want you to circle the word fruit in verse 9 and draw a line down to the word filled in verse 18. The filling is always connected to the fruit. If a man has the Holy Ghost where he ought to be on the inside, friend, you can't keep that to yourself. What's on the inside is going to work its way out. And let me tell you who the Spirit of God is. He's the Spirit of love. Finish this for me. The fruit of the Spirit is, first thing on the list, love. May I ask you, would the people that you and I communicated with today say we were filled with the Holy Spirit? I got impatient coming to church tonight. That's awful, isn't it? No, I really did. I was driving over here, and I got behind somebody that wouldn't go at a green light. How many of you get annoyed that people won't go at a green light? And I'm sitting behind them, helping them, you know. I wanted to blow my horn. I really did. And, and you know, you try to excuse that kind of thing, and I'm saying, use the pedal on the right. It'll go better, you know, and all those kinds of things. You know what I've learned? I've learned that when I'm really filled with the Holy Spirit of God, instead of getting absolutely exasperated with people and impatient and ugly, I start seeing them like God sees them and thinking about them like God thinks about them. And I, I can't explain it to you, but only the love of God can melt the callousness of our wicked hearts. A man filled with the Spirit will be filled with the love of God. Keep reading. Look at verse number 3. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as become a saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting, which are not convenient. Do you know what he just described there? The opposite of love. Everything in verse 3 and verse 4 that I've just read to you is the opposite of love. It's lust. It is what I want instead of what God wants. And the only cure... Well, that fleshly way is I must be so filled with the Holy Spirit that suddenly it's not like me. It's not like me. It's not my original nature. Let me tell you what my original nature is. My original nature is to tell you off and put you in your place because somebody's got to do it and it might as well be me, don't you think? And don't look at me real pious. You have the same old fleshly nature inside of you too. And the only thing that straightens that out is the sweet Holy Spirit of God who brings all the love of God into my soul. And when He comes into my soul, He starts working His way out through my mouth, you see. He, he speaks differently. Oh, it's wonderful. I love the end of verse 4. He says, but rather giving of thanks. You know what the giving of thanks does? 
it keeps God in his rightful place and you in your place. A grateful heart is the only Bible cure for lust. You want to know the only cure for your lust? Gratitude. Because when you're thankful for what God gave you, you won't be desiring what God doesn't want you to have. There's only one reason why people want something God didn't choose for them, and that is they're not thankful for what God did choose for them. They think they know better than God. It's the difference between the life of lust and the life of love. It's the difference between walking in the flesh and being filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Keep reading. Look at verse 5. For this you know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words. For because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye therefore partakers with them. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. May I just ask you, do you think your heavenly Father is full of love or full of hatred? Talk to me just a second. Love or hatred, church? I think he's full of love. Do you think he's full of mercy or full of impatience? Talk to me. Which one do you think he's full of? Mercy. Do you think he's full of grace or do you think he's just angry all the time? I think he's full of grace. And I want you to know, you get filled with the Spirit of God and he will make you, dear child, more like your heavenly Father. Most days, preacher, that I look in the mirror of God's Word, I see my first daddy. It's awful. You know who my first daddy is? His name's Adam. You ever heard of him? And I look in the mirror and I see old Adam in me and I say, Lord, that's not, that's not what I want. And the sweet Holy Spirit comes and says, all right, then I'm going to help you. I'm going to make you more like your heavenly Father. Wouldn't it be a great thing if the people that really knew us and interacted with us thought more of our God because they saw the spirit of love in every one of us? Wouldn't it be good if somebody thought you and I look like our heavenly Papa? Well, only the Holy Spirit can do that in us. And so, to be filled with the Spirit of God is to be filled with love. There's a second thing. Let's pick up where we left off. Look at verse number 8. When I stop, say the next word. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of what? Light. We read verse 9. Look at verse 10. Proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. See the contrast between the fruit of the Spirit and the unfruitful works? But rather reprove them, for it's a shame even to speak of those things which are done to them in secret. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the what, church? Light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is what, church? Light. Verse 14. Wherefore he saith, Awake, thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee five times. Mark them, please. Five times from verse 8 down to verse number 14. God says one of the distinguishing characteristics of the spiritual person is they will be marked by light. You know why that is? Because God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. That's the first thing He did in His creation work when He created light. You know what He did? He said light and He separated the light from the darkness. You know light never becomes darkness and darkness never becomes light. No, you, you can't have both. You've got to pick one. And this is so deeply convicting to me, but I'm asking you right now, if there's no darkness at all in him, is there any darkness at all in me? Is there any dark thing in your imagination? Any dark thing in your motive? Any dark thing in the secret recesses of your thought life where nobody goes but the sweet Holy Spirit? Any dark thing? 
We give the aura, the idea. We're right with God. We're right with, are we really right with God? I'll tell you, a spirit-filled man is a man that every day says to the Holy Ghost, Now, Holy Ghost, you walk through every part of my life, and if you see anything in there that doesn't look like Jesus, you drag it kicking and screaming out of my life. Whatever it takes, get the darkness out of me. Whatever it takes, put the light of God in me. I say to you, God is light, but we must choose to live in the light. And the one mark of the fullness of the Spirit is that your life is not lived in secret, it is lived in open. That's what light is. Would we be afraid for anyone to come to our house? (laughs) Would I be troubled if you picked up my mobile device and looked through my search history? Would you be... A little hesitant, would you pause if we could know every conversation and and every word? This is what it means to really be filled with the Holy Spirit. It is to say, Lord, I'm so wide open to you. It doesn't mean I'm perfect. There's sin in there. But every time you show me, Holy Ghost, when you put your finger on something that is not light, I'm going to say to you, get that out of my life and fill me with the light of God. The Spirit-filled life is marked by love. It is marked by light. Let's go on. Look at verse 15. See then, based on this, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore, be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Would you mark in verse 15 the word wise and in verse 17 the word unwise. I want to tell you, when you're filled with the Spirit, you'll not only be filled with love and light, you'll be filled with wisdom. You know why? Because God is wisdom. How many people in this room have any decision that you need to make about anything? You don't tell me what it is, but you're, you're praying, thinking, looking towards something. You've got some decision to make. Would you raise your hand, please? You know what's interesting to me? I'm looking around. It's almost everybody. I'm looking around. It's people at every phase of life. You know, this is crazy. But I really thought, I'll be 47 next month. I really thought by this time in life, all the big decisions would be behind me. Any of you have that idea? I really did. I thought, you know, once you get out of college and get married, get your kids raised and figure out where you're serving, man, you got all the big decisions. We just kind of shifted into neutral and coast into glory. I want you to know that there will never be a day in your life that you do not need the wisdom that comes from above. We all have decisions, and we all need direction, and I'm going to tell you on my own, I'm ignorant, I'm unwise, but blessed be the name of God, my Lord is the all-wise one. If any of you lack wisdom, do any of you lack wisdom? Let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. When you come to God and you say like a little child, Oh, Lord, I don't know what to do. The Father says, That's all right. My Spirit's going to help guide you. I had a decision to make in the last few days. It makes no purpose, I don't think, to tell you what it was. But it was something of, of consequence to me and to the future of our work. Something... It really was not good or bad. It was just, Lord, which one? Those are the hard decisions. Did you know that? And I said to the Lord the other night, I said, Lord, I don't know what to do, so you're going to have to show me what to do because I don't want to make a mistake. And you know what the sweet Holy Spirit of God did? In a matter of about 24 hours, 
the Lord through His Word and by His Spirit and through other counselors. Some of them didn't even know fully what they were saying to me. Were all used of God to confirm the right path. And, and once I made the decision and crossed the threshold, I got on the other side of him, and the Holy Spirit, blessed be His name, gave me even more divine confirmations that I had taken the step that God wanted me to take. Isn't it wonderful when God does that? I want to tell you what the Holy Spirit will do. You need wisdom? You need the Holy Spirit. That's what you need. Because look at verse number 15. In verse number 15, He'll help you discern what is wicked. Walk circumspectly. Be, be careful. Be careful. Walk the right way because there's a lot of wickedness around us. The days are evil. And when you get to verse number 17, He won't just help you know what's wicked. He'll help you know what is God's will. I'm, I love this. He won't just tell you no. He'll tell you yes. He won't just keep you from. He'll guide you into. He, he, he won't just keep you away from the bad. He will bring you into God's best. Anybody else want to know God's best? Well, the Holy Spirit of God is the one who will help you know the will of God. And the will of God is not just in all the big decisions of life. It's often in the little daily decisions that we make. We must depend on the Holy Spirit of God every day. You know what our problem is? We think we're too smart. That's, what we, that's our problem. We think we can figure this thing out. We think we can chart our own course. And the Lord will let you hit a wall, friend. That's what he'll do. He'll let you come to the end of yourself where you finally just throw up your hands and say, Wits in, Lord. I don't know what to do. And God says, Good. I, I, I've been waiting for you to get right there because now I can guide you by my Holy Spirit. And so the Spirit-filled life fills us with love and light and wisdom. Number four. Look at verse number 16 again. Redeeming the time. I'm convinced of this. When a person is filled with the Holy Spirit, they will be filled with urgency. I did not say busyness. We got a world full of people who are busy and not urgent. I mean by that, they got too much going on, frankly, just too much on the calendar, trying to fit too much into the 24 hours of the day that they have, and they're spent and wasted and exhausted and frustrated, and they think there's got to be more to life than this. There is. And I'm going to tell you what it is. The Holy Spirit of God will help you know what matters to God. This is not just urgency. It is the divine urgency. Buy up the time. I don't have a day to waste. I don't have a meeting to waste. I don't have a moment to waste. I, I don't have an hour to squander on myself and on sin. Dear Lord, help me that, to live with eternity in view. I spoke to someone on the phone today who's going through a great tragedy and great trial and great trouble in recent months, and they're still navigating the twists and turns and working their way through it all. But I said to this person on the phone today, I, I admire the fact that you're making your decisions based on what matters for eternity. The only way to truly, rightly understand time is to live in the light of eternity. You want to make this week count? Think of eternity. You want to make tomorrow count? Think of eternity. You want to make tonight count? Think of eternity. And only the Holy Ghost of God can stamp eternity on your soul in such a way that it helps you to redeem the time and not waste the moments God has given you. There's a fifth thing I want you to see. Come down to verse number 19. I love this. Speaking to yourselves. In psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Would you write down number five? When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, He fills you with joy, real joy. I mean, the kind of joy the world doesn't know anything about, and the world can't take it away from you either. It is the joy of our Lord, and it comes only by the Holy Spirit of God. The fruit of the Spirit is love, 
joy is next on the list, you see. Would you look at that verse carefully? There's an outward part of it. Look at it. He says, we're speaking. We speak to yourselves. <laughs> How many of you ever talk to yourself? Come on now, be honest. You're in church. How many of you ever answer yourself? Yeah, that's, that's, that's the problem right there. I walked through the house the other day, and I heard Tammy, and I thought she was on the phone for a long time. And finally, I walked into the room where she was, and she's just standing there by herself. And I said, who's you talking to? She said, I was just talking to myself. I said, baby, we got to get you some help. You know, this is not good. we got to spend more time together or something. But we do that. We speak to ourselves. And look, it's all right to talk to yourself. You just be real careful what you talk to yourself about. Look at this verse. Here's the outward part. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Now, I've observed this about myself. I, I know a lot of Christian songs. I, you know, when you grow up in church, I've been around this since I was a little, little boy, and uh, learned all these songs. And I love that song you all sang yesterday. I, I still remember when Brother Kaiser wrote that song. I was a student in college when he wrote it. And uh, I, I was singing along with him. I've been in lots of church meetings and listened to lots of wonderful music, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. i got a whole lot of them in there. I can't remember them all right now, but i got a whole lot of them in there. But you know what I've observed about myself? When I am most right with God, a song comes out. I, I don't know any other way to say it. But when I'm really in tune with the Lord and I'm by myself and in a quiet place, suddenly I'll find the words of a song going through my mind. I was somewhere the other day and stayed by myself for several days in a place preaching. And it was kind of a secluded place. And I, I started laughing to myself because every, every little bit I'd think of another song. Without even thinking about it, I'd find myself singing another song. But I like that. I think there's something to that. Because, see, the Holy Spirit, may I say this and I say it with all reverence, I believe the Holy Spirit is a happy spirit. I really believe that. And I don't think when a person gets filled with the Holy Spirit, they become morbid and introspective and uh, long-faced and grumble and groan their way through life. I think it's the exact opposite. I think when the Holy Spirit of God really fills somebody, it doesn't mean you're jumping up and down all the time, but it means on the inside you always have something to sing about because you know the Lord Jesus is your Savior. Have you lost your song? Have you lost your song? How many of you like to sing? How many of you can sing in church? How many of you only sing really good in the shower like me? Would you raise your hand? Yeah, I do some good work in there. I want you to know it's beautiful. I should record it sometime because it's good in there. And I'm not talking about whether you sing in public or not. I'm asking in your personal walk with Jesus, do you have your song? Or somewhere have you led all of the, the overwhelming things in our world and the overwhelming things in your life drown the song out have you lost the joy of his salvation you say i don't have anything to sing about then sing about the fact that your name is written down in the lamb's book of life in heaven start there and i'll tell you what the holy spirit of god will do he'll put the song back in you but keep reading it's not just an outward aspect to this now look at it please he said speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing and making melody in your heart there's an inward aspect to this so it's not just that you go around singing all the time outwardly, but it means in your heart there's joy. It's not something you work up. It's not for public consumption. We do too much of that. Come to church and put on the facade. How you doing, brother? Oh, I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing pretty good. And you're not doing good. You're struggling. And we're, we're limping our way through and trying to act like everything's all right. I'm not suggesting you put on some plastic, pharisaical kind of, of, of happy face. I'm suggesting to you that you concentrate on what's going on on the inside. Because if you can keep your heart happy in Jesus, the Lord will take care of all the rest of it. 
And then look at the end. He goes, this is the ultimate. It's not just outward and inward, it's upward. We're giving thanks and melody in your heart to the what? To the Lord. Let me tell you, that's the secret to the joy. You keep your eyes on Jesus. You ever been disappointed by people? Take a number. You ever been aggravated things didn't turn out the way you wanted them to? Get in line. You ever been frustrated by what's going on, even in the lives of people that you know and love and want the best for? Join the club. But I'm going to tell you what all of us can do. Every one of us. I don't care what your circumstance tonight. I'm going to tell you what every one of us can do. We can get our eyes back on Jesus. And friend, when you fix your heart on Christ, the Holy Spirit will fix His joy inside of you. Let me give you another one. Number six, He fills us with gratitude. Look at verse number 20. Giving thanks. And we read that and say, yeah, yeah, I'm thankful. I'm thankful. Could I just point out to you that thanks here is not something you have, it's something you give. Have you given thanks today? How many times today have you given thanks? No, no. Today, before you ever got into this church service, how many times today did you pause and say, thank you, Lord? Oh, thank you, Lord, for that. You say, well, I prayed over my food. Well, all right, that's good. Congratulations. But how many times today did you pause throughout the course of this day and look up and say, thank you, Lord, for that? Oh, God, thank you for that. Yes, Lord, thank you for that. Giving thanks. It's a way of life, people. It's, it's not just an attitude. It's an action. Look at it. Giving thanks always. Does your Bible say always? Mm. Hold on. It gets worse. For all things. Does your Bible say all things? Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at that verse. Just stare at that verse. Just say, that's a powerful verse. There's the action of our gratitude, giving thanks. There's the, the, the duration of our thanks, always. There's the motivation of our thanks, all things. There's the direction of our thanks unto God. There's the relationship of our thanks and the Father. And there is the recognition of our thanks in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know why you give thanks in the name of Jesus? Because every time you give thanks in the name of Jesus, you're recognizing that you didn't deserve any of this. All you really deserve is hell. And if you've got any good thing in your life, it's all because of Jesus every good thing in my life is because of Jesus and would you like to know who reminds me of that every day the sweet Holy Spirit I love the Holy Spirit I love him and if you think that sounds weird I'm very sorry but he's a real person and he lives inside of me how many of you think it'd be strange if somebody moved in your house lived there for 40 years and you never talked to them Sounds like some marriages, but that's a different conference, you know. Do you know there are people who've been saved for 40 years and they've never gotten acquainted with God living inside of them? They talk about the Father, they speak about the Son, and they never give a single thought to the Holy Spirit. Do you ever talk to the Holy Spirit? You say, I don't know about that preacher. Is he a real person or not? Tell me, yes or no. If he's a real person, how many of you think if he talks to us, we ought to be talking to him every now and then? When was the last time you said to the Holy Spirit, Oh, Spirit of God, help me now. Guide me in this decision. Holy Spirit, give me courage right now. Holy Spirit, uh, press, press on my mind the things that need to be in my mind. Holy Spirit, help me to worship like I ought to worship. I'm going to tell you something. You get acquainted with the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you, and you won't have to try to be a more thankful person. The Holy Spirit of God will help fill you with divine gratitude.
One more and I'll stop. Number seven. He fills us with submission. <laughs> Ouch. Just one we don't like, isn't it? See, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of submission. So when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you don't get your way. You submit to God's way. Uh, look beginning in verse number 21. Submitting yourselves. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. And then, then he really starts meddling. Wives, Submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church, and gave himself for it. We talk about the wife's submission. Look at the husband's submission. Christ submitted to the will of the Father, went to the cross, and died for the church. The husband submits to the needs of his wife in, in divine love. There's submission all around. There's enough submission for everybody. You know the great struggle? I'm going to tell you the great struggle in every home and the great struggle in every church is who gets to be the boss. That's the great problem. You get husbands and wives having conflict. Years ago, we worked with lots of couples, and we did a good bit of marriage counseling. And every time, didn't matter what the issue was, didn't matter what the conflict was, it all boiled down to this, who gets their way. Let me tell you how to fix that conflict in your home. Stop thinking you have to have your way or they got to get their way, and let's have the Holy Spirit get His way. And when we all submit to God, the Holy Spirit will bring that glorious unity that only He can bring. In a church... People say, well, the preacher gets his way, or, or he, that brother wants his way, or she wants to get her way. Nonsense. Hogwash. Forget all of that. Let's let the Lord have his way with us. Spirit-filled people are not concerned about getting their way. They're concerned about finding God's way. Spirit-filled people don't have to have it their way all the time. Spirit-filled people, look, this works in the church family and this works in your family. Look at Ephesians 5. It's in the church and it's in the home. The principle of submission works everywhere. But I, let me just tell you, we're all just stubborn. We're all stubborn. We're all stubborn, including the man talking to you right now. We all want our way. We all think we know what's best. And we bow up and we fuss and fight and feud and maybe that's why we don't have the power of the Holy Spirit of God. Because when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, He brings every good thing into our life. I wish I had time to show you this tonight. How many of you have read a little bit in Ephesians this week? How many of you have read a little bit in Ephesians? Good. Read Ephesians. Read Ephesians. Read Ephesians. Don't just read it. Read it out loud. And don't just read it out loud. Read it on your knees. It will help lead you to prayer. Now let me give you a little homework assignment. You ought to take Ephesians and Colossians and compare them because they're parallel epistles like, like two sides of the railroad track and they both move in the same direction. It's just a little footnote here that I think is fascinating. Did you know that all the things that are connected here in Ephesians 5 to being filled with the Spirit in Colossians 3 are connected to being filled with the Scriptures? That when a person is filled with the Word of God, the same fruits come out. There's something to that. I don't have time to dwell on it tonight, but there's something to that. Watch this, please. You want to be filled with the Holy Spirit? I'm not talking about some spooky kind of mystical something for, where you're waiting on a, on a chill up your spine. I'm talking about getting in the Word, letting the Word get in you, and obeying whatever God shows you to do. And when you get filled with God's Word, you'll get filled with God's Spirit. And when you get filled with God's Spirit, you'll get filled with all the good gifts only the Holy Spirit can bring. No pastor can do this for you. No evangelist can bring that to town. And none of us can work this up on our own. You don't work this up. The Holy Ghost puts this in.
told you the story yesterday about Mr. Moody's encounter with that young minister. When Moody himself was a young preacher starting out, he, he was quite a preacher. He spoke in a children's meeting one day and did very well. Hundreds and hundreds of children. He held them spellbound with his stories and, and really swayed the audience. And he was pretty proud of himself. And as he left the meeting, a carriage waiting outside to whisk him off to another part of town to another meeting. He said he felt a hand on his arm and he turned to look and he saw a little old man standing there right in his face. He said, I'd never seen the old man before. I never saw him after. He said, I have no idea who he was. He said, but he had tears in his eyes. And he said, that old man said one thing to me. He said, son, when you preach again, honor the Holy Ghost. And Dale Moody said, I got on that carriage and went on to preach again. And I was offended because I thought, I just did well. I preached a good sermon. The children listened and responded well. He said, but the words of that old man rang in my ears and my heart for weeks after that. I couldn't escape it. I'd lay in bed at night. And all I could hear echoing in my soul were these words, honor the Holy Ghost. And Moody later testified later in life. He said, when I finally came in to understand that it wasn't Moody, it was God. That it wasn't what I could produce. It was the fruit only I could bear and only the Holy Spirit could produce. He said, when I finally got there, I understood what that old man meant. You know what I think? I think what we need to do, and I know we're Baptists. We're Baptists. I think we need to honor the Holy Ghost again. That's what I think. Talk about the fullness of Christ. Everybody says, that's right, that's right, preacher. The fullness of God. Oh, we want that. Start talking about the full filling of the Holy Spirit. People say, ah, well, I believe in that. But no, there's no but to it. Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. If this Bible message has been used of God in your life, or we can pray for you in some definite way, please contact us at enjoyingthejourney.org. We hope you will share the message with others who may also be encouraged by it. For additional full-length Bible messages, please visit Dr. Scott Pauley's YouTube channel. Tomorrow is the Lord's Day, and we want to encourage you to be faithful to attend a Bible-preaching church in your area this Sunday. Thank you for listening to The Weekend Pulpit. And don't miss Enjoying the Journey daily devotional podcast each Monday through Friday.